0: Repeats Word is brought to you by Roundup Extend and Extendamax herbicides with vapor grip technology from Bayer. Use the herbicides specifically designed for Roundup Ready2 extend soybeans for cleaner fields and greater yields. Learn more at growtogreatness.ca Good day. And welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, December the 1st on this episode of the Word. Snotes! Yep, some notes about what's going on, and that includes some updates about the stinking snow. Then some seed supply concerns. And an interesting way we'll get to that particular topic. Then we're gonna tell you about some soybean secrets to high yields, really cool stuff there. Finish up with magical manure. Or wait a minute, is it really that magical and can we really count on it for everything we thought that we could count on it for? Eh, The answer might actually surprise you. Definitely surprised me. Let's go. First off, I deeply apologize. If you listened to the word last Wednesday evening, the November 24th issue, last Wednesday evening or overnight or all the way up until almost 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, Ah. You got last year's episode. Dang, Johnson screwed up. And so my wonderful support people here at Real Agriculture posted last year's episode for November 25th instead of this year's episode for November the 24th. If you listened in that time frame, the November twenty fourth episode, twenty twenty one, will be uh, is up now, and you can listen to that particular episode by going back one episode here on the Word System. If you are after nine a.m. on Thursday, we got it corrected, and so you don't have to worry about it. But yep, every once in a while, Johnson just makes a mistake, and that's what happened last week. So there you go. All right, going to move on, and yes. Unbelievable. The Corn Committee, the Ontario Corn Committee, good for them. Last week, I mentioned or said that the draft report was up. They didn't have all the data. They didn't have all the trials harvested this week. I'm happy to report that they finished harvest. Good for them because there's lots of people who are still struggling to get that job done. They finished harvest. The final corn hybrid trial report is up. Go there, have a look at the data. Really cool stuff. had some great discussions about this and, and one of the comments was that, yeah, but Peter, this year's winner from a corn hybrid or a soybean variety standpoint, is almost never next year's winner. So how do I pick next year's winner? No, 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 no. Don't ever try to pick the winner. That's like trying to make sell all your crop at the top of the market, which, by the way, last week I said how high they were. Dang it, they backed off. So there you go. I should have been saying, sell, sell, sell. I didn't say that because... Who knew where they were going to go next? No, don't try to pick the winner every time. What you want to do is pick the consistent hybrids or varieties that are always in the top three or four. That's a much better place to be than trying to always pick just that number one hybrid or variety. Dave, by the way, asking a great question a couple of weeks ago around the corn hybrid trials, saying, like, what about corn height, about the height of hybrids? Because there's tremendous differences. Some hybrids, they can be 12 feet tall. Other hybrids are maybe only 8 feet tall. Is there any difference, or do we we get it? Wrong data out of the corn performance trials because a tall hybrid is beside a short hybrid. And so as Dr. Dave Hooker tweeted out, Ridgetown Campus, University of Guelph, they did the research, the corn committee did the research on that a few years back and found out that yes, indeed, corn height does impact whether or not that hybrid is at an advantage or a disadvantage. So they solved that problem they plant four-row plots and they only harvest the center two. So the center two are not impacted by that tall hybrid five feet away. And then they go back and clean up the rest of the trials and the the border effects, if you will, are taken out by only harvesting those two center rows. By the way, if you're doing six-row plots... You know, and you have a tall hybrid beside a short hybrid, that one outside row will be impacted. And it is a good thought process just to kind of keep in the back of your brain when you're looking at sometimes those hybrids don't always turn out the way that you would expect them to do. So, just before I leave that whole corn hybrid trial discussion, I do want to add in that this whole test weight discussion. Had a great email from Mark down in Delmarva. Mark's super to, to participate and email me with some thoughts once in a while. Of course, that's Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. That's the area he comes from. And he said, wow, Peter, that discussion about test weight versus kernel weight that you and Greg Stewart did really drove the point home for me because... They did a yield tour just like we do in Ontario. They predicted slightly above average yields. They had good stands, good cob counts, good kernel counts, but just just sort of average, a little bit better than average. They are blowing the doors off yield, and it's all kernel weight, kernel weight, kernel weight. And our current hybrids, you know, they definitely have heavier kernels when they get that opportunity. What's the other part of the story that's incredibly interesting is I, my own corn plant plot, rather. Greg Stewart was kind enough to run the kernel weights on my corn hybrid test plot, and for the most part. The heavier the kernels were on a particular variety, the higher the yield of that variety, the the better the ranking it was within that test plot. So kernel weight, very good correlation to final placing or final yield in that test plot. Except one particular hybrid, and that particular hybrid always throws 20 or 22 rows around, and it still has a good length to it, 32, 33, 35 kernels. And Greg says that it's a Mazex hybrid, 40-40. He says when they do yield evaluations or kernel counts, that hybrid always seems to just blow the doors off from a kernel count standpoint, and you would say, oh, this one's going to win. It's got so many kernels. But... It throws all of our regressions out. When you put that particular hybrid in, it did absolutely fine in yield, but it's got really light kernels, and it does absolutely fine in yield because it's got so many kernels. So kernel weight doesn't always predict everything. If you can have enough kernels... Even if they're a bit lighter, you still have good yield, but for the most part, this kernel weight really does make it a big difference. Okay, I want to move on and just say the other things going on out there in the field Dan uh, tweeting out a picture, getting the plow stuck, Kennedy calling me up and saying, "Hey, Peter, we're done plowing." Uh, Four bucket loads, four loader bucket loads of mud we took out from between the tracks and the undercarriage of the plow tractor, and I just gone, oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Nathan's texting me a link to a great article on, on the mole board plow and how it's much maligned, and people like Johnson say, don't plow, don't plow, don't plow, and the benefits of the plow, and the plow used correctly Jim is correct. The plow has an incredible place. But man, when you've got to have two tractors to pull you out of the mud when you're plowing or there's that much mud, you just got to shake your head and say, I don't know that that's the right thing to do. The other thing I want to just qu- quickly mention, because I find this amazing. Joe tweeted a, p- a picture of his sieves. He's still got corn to combine. He went out on the 29th of November, and immediately the sieves were plugged with with snow. Man, I don't quite understand. Way back when, you know, started out with our old Cockshot 535 combine, and we had way too many acres of corn at the time for a three-row corn head and a 535 Cockshot combine, and we managed to get it off. How did we do that? We were still going out there, at midnight in February and combining through the snow. As long as it was minus 7 Celsius, we could combine through the snow. The snow was cold enough that it would never melt and it would blow out the back of the combine. The same was true when we moved from that 535 cockshot up to the 642 Ford, which was a class combine. The same was true when we moved to the 8700 white, I'm not sure about my 9,500 deer, I haven't run it in the snow, but what astounds me is that with the new combines i 'm told that even at minus ten or minus twelve they will still plug the sieves with snow and i 'd love somebody to explain to me why that is is there, what is going on that the snow no longer stays cold enough to stay frozen that we can blow out out the back of that combine and combine when it 's cold enough but i 'll guarantee you if you have too much snow on the corn and it 's not minus seven. Any of those combines will plug up the sieves. It's just the way that it works. Okay, I want to move on. And here's an interesting call that I got. The caller said he'd grown six years of hay, then a year of beans, and now it's planted in winter wheat. Planted in good time, but there's already killed out areas and and yellow-purple wheat in areas. And he says, well, it's random tile. However, I think about that, man, six years of hay, there should have been incredible soil structure in that field. So the fact that he's seeing yellow actually makes me feel a little bit better because all the yellow wheat I worry about the fact we don't have good aggregate stability we're not getting good water movement in that soil man six years of hay one years of beans that should have been really good soil structure so maybe it is just way too much water and and we're not as poor in internal drainage as I fear we are but here's the caller's question so he's saying what about seeding sorghum sedan grass into the killed out areas right after I do my weed control. And he mentioned he did his weed control first week of June. Please tell me that's first week of May, not first week of June. And no, don't seed sorghum sedan grass into the killed out areas the first week of May or after the first week of May because... That needs high soil temperatures. If you're going to use sorghum Sudan grass, then go in there. It's more like the first week of June once those soil temperatures have heated up. But the other question that he asked me and where I want to go with this is he said, so the other option, of course, and I know you're going to say this, is single-cut clover. I have really poor luck with single-cut clover, but I guess it would be an option. What do you think out of those options? So absolutely Choose the single-cut clover. Why is it single-cut? You all know the answer, because single-cut isn't going to grow tall and interfere with my wheat harvest in those areas where the wheat is actually killed out. And it will do wonders for soil structure. It will fix nitrogen for the next corn crop. However, the caller also said that And when he goes through with his herbicide, he often feels like he damages that red clover, and that's why he he doesn't end up with a red clover stand. Oh, dang it. Use Bucryl-M or MCPA sodium. Certainly we have herbicides that are easier on that clover. The other thing that keeps resonating in my brain is the trials that Shane and I have done. When we go away from high rates of 28% nitrogen, we tend to get better clover establishment. If you really want clover establishment, maybe we have to look at better European-style fertilizer spreaders and using urea as our nitrogen source just, just kind of resonates in my brain. But my last point is this. From many different sources, clover seed supply is incredibly tight, whether it's single cut or it's double cut. The growers out west had poor yields, and many of the Western Canadian growers have moved away this year from red clover seed production because of the high prices for canola and for wheat, just like many growers here in Ontario. If you want your red clover seed, boy, you better think about getting it locked in. And then Donald leaving the message saying, hey, Peter, what about soybean seed supply? I'm hearing some concerns around that, so I think we have to watch out on soybean seed as well. We definitely harvested late. We saw way more seedling, or pardon me, seed coat diseases, diaporthe, pod and stem blight, uh, all of the, phomopsis, and there are some early reports coming back in that the germination on some of those late harvested seed soybeans is not what we would like it to be. And of course, the other part of that germination story is, even if the germ's okay, what is the vigour? So I really think we're just going to have to, we'll get enough soybean seed, but moving forward, we're going to have to pay attention to those germination scores, those vigor scores, and soybean seeds could be just a little bit tighter in supply than what we might like it to be. On that note, I want to move on and just quickly touch on the secrets of soybeans. A new soybean school posted on Real Agriculture where Byrne Tobin interviewed Sean Conley. Sean is the soybean and small grains, so get this, he does, both soybeans and wheat, if you can imagine that, for for Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin. They have a great study where they just looked at, I don't know, 8,000 farms or something across the U.S. The number one factor for higher soybean yields was planting date. Unbelievable. In that data set, from 0.2 to 0.3, bushels per acre per day higher soybean yields every day you plant earlier and in wisconsin and by the way wisconsin from a geographical standpoint a latitude standpoint from a rainfall standpoint is the closest u.s state to ontario april 20th is the date they look at and after that they think they they are losing in that 0.2 to 0.3 bushel per acre per day range Many growers there are now starting to plant soybeans, all their soybeans before corn. Paul Sullivan, great agronomist in in the Ottawa Valley area has promoted that for several years. It really does twist your brain sideways. Lots of other good things in that particular video. Watch it if you can at all, but I found that particularly interesting. Okay, I want to finish it up just with manure because some great information coming out of the Canadian Society of Agronomy, a brown bagger series that I listened to this week, started off with Dr. Joan Whalen from uh, Quebec, And what was really interesting out of her study was they got zero, let me repeat, zero nitrogen credit to a spring grain crop of any nature from either liquid or solid dairy manure applied in the fall. Zero nitrogen credit. And wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And then Don Flayton, Dr. Don Flayton from Manitoba, talked about manure as well, and the studies that they've done in Manitoba. And what just astounded me the most out of Dawn's presentation was that it took years to rev up the soil. That was the term he used, rev up the soil with manure. And we often look at the organic nitrogen in manure and we say there's going to be a certain percentage. Don says in Manitoba they count on 25% of that manure nitrogen to be available to the crop that year. In his research, over eight years where they applied that manure every year for eight years, they only recovered 8 to 11 percent of that organic nitrogen, and you just go, Wow! So, not 25 percent, but only 8 to 11 percent. What's really the kicker in all this, though, was after eight years, they kind of said, Well, man, we've applied manure for all this time, and Over time, the manure did eventually start replacing fertilizer nitrogen, but in the early study, the fertilizer nitrogen clearly outyielded the same amount of nitrogen that was supposedly available out of the manure. What happens now that we have this soil revved up? So in year nine, they didn't apply any manure at all. They didn't apply any commercial fertilizer. And with many of the different manure types... No yield loss whatsoever. So if we're looking with these high fertilizer prices, there's all sorts of talk about using manure as a nutrient source, as a nitrogen source. Man, I think we have to rethink the value of that nitrogen in manure. And by the way, in some of the data, and it's quite clear in discussion with Dale Cowan, the lead agronomist with Agrison Wanstead Co-op, he's seen the exact same thing. The availability of nitrogen out of cattle manure seems to be much less reliable than it does out of either hog or chicken. There's some reasons for that. But if it's a one-year application and you're expecting big things, the data would suggest that you're just not going to see them. With that, that's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the Word for Wednesday, December the 1st. Keep the questions coming and we will talk to you next week. Bye now. Grow to greatness with Roundup Extend and Extend herbicides with vapor grip technology from Bayer. Unlock the full potential of your Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans for exceptional control over a broad spectrum of weeds. Visit growtogreatness.ca.